Sean Clancy, what's going on, bud? Um, I guess it's Groundhog Day. I guess so. What, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, so how was your drive down from the Big Apple down to Florida? Nice drive? Um, actually, this one was rather interesting. It was 19, uh, 19 hours straight through. I didn't even need, you know, I stopped for gas and to pee. <laughs> That's it. Hey, you didn't flee the Big Apple for good, did you? No. No, I mean, I haven't fle- you know, You know, I mean, the, the thing about it is, my kid, you know, like, I get asked probably on a daily basis, either through social media or through friends reaching out, you know, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And it's, you know, I mean, the best analogy is, you know, basically it's if you if you want to, you know, if you play golf, you can't take your next shot and the ball stops rolling and, you know, the ball hasn't stopped rolling. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm out in New York, but the only reason why I'm out in New York is, you know, I just couldn't justify holding on to the house in New York. I, I pretty much blew through my savings to pay my staff, you know, during the, the early parts of, of what we dealt with. So that it was um, just didn't have the option to be able to do anything else. So I, I, I had a place in Florida. I'm riding out the storm here and just waiting to see what comes next. Before we talk about the heartbreaking news of Foley's Bar closing, I want to find out more about you. When did you move to the Big Apple? When did you move to New York, Sean? Um, I came here about 30 years ago. And where where'd you grow up? Where did your family take you when you first got here? No, I know when I, I I mean I. I was 20 when I came here and uh, I, you know, my parents, to, to buy, take it back a, a step before, my parents were married here. They met, they married here, then they moved back to Ireland before I was born. And uh, so, you know, I grew up with a lot of, you know, my parents had a lot of friends who, who, um, here in New York. So, you know, I knew a lot of people here mm-hmm. and, so, I mean, when I decided that I wanted to go to America, it made perfect sense to come to New York because I had a ready-made family here waiting for me. And where did you live when you first got here? When I first got here, I lived in Flushing briefly for the first six months, and then I moved to Manhattan. I lived I lived in Stytown. Oh, I, I lived on East 10th and 1st for a few years, we, so we were neighbors. Yeah, nice. I mean, it was great. I mean, to be honest with you, I was in a, in a in a sublet like everybody else that was down there at the time, and it was people would say to me, "Oh my God, you you, you live in you live in Manhattan." And the truth was at that time, which would have been early nineties, <clears throat> it was cheaper for me to live in Stytown than it was to live in you know Queens or the Bronx. So you know, I was there, and then every year the started going up and and the weird part of it was too was there was no air conditioning you weren't allowed to have air conditioning at that time <laughs> but in coming from ireland we, we know that the closest we got to air conditioning in ireland is open the windows so i mean it didn't... <laughs> I, I was i was a bartender in the city so um you know i I was never home. I mean, I was home in the evenings and got used to circulating fans and oscillating fans and stuff like that. But, you know, it didn't, it didn't really mean anything. So I, I was there. I loved living there. I mean, as you know, with that area, I mean, that, back then, great area. I mean, it was actually kind of funny because I worked on 23rd Street and I, and I never went any higher than 23rd Street. <laughs> it, was, it was a joke, a joke with my customers because they were like, you know, I mean, with the exception of Yankee Stadium, or you know, well, that's it, just Yankee Stadium. I never went. You know, I I got into a cab one night. Customers were going to see a Broadway show, 
And uh, as we were going up the West Side Highway, you know, we were somewhere in the 30s, and I turned to the cab driver and said, excuse me, is this Connecticut? <laughs> hey, Sean, where and when did the love of baseball start? Because when you think Irish sports, obviously soccer, boxing, golf, even hurling, where did the love of baseball start for you? Um, well, to be honest with you, like I said, my, my parents, my parents um, had a lot of friends who, um, you know, who stayed here. So I, I grew up where I had all these aunts and uncles that weren't necessarily aunts and uncles. You know, I, you know that, that they were Irish. And, you know, so as a kid growing up, these people would come to Ireland, you know, during the summer. And they would bring us, you know, they would bring us gifts. So, you know, I like vaguely remember, and I actually got a chance to tell them the story, but I remember as a seven or eight-year-old getting a Reggie Jackson t-shirt. Now, I had no idea who Reggie Jackson was. I mean, it, you know, he was black and his last name was Jackson. I thought he was related to Michael Jackson. <laughs> One of my, my longest and dearest friends is a guy by the name of Brian Farley. And, you know, Brian's parents, my parents were very close. So Brian would come home and Brian was like a couple of years older than me. So Brian would come home and he would spend his summers with me. So as he was teaching me about the Yankees, and Motley Crew, I was teaching him about soccer and you too, who were a band. And uh, you know, so I I would I was a ferocious reader back then, so I would read anything I could get my hands on. So I would have you know, I had a Mattingly glove as a kid, no idea who Mattingly was. Wow. Um, you know, so so and and I would I would they would send me home yearbooks and you know, I would uh you know, I would read as much as I possibly could. I mean, I, I, I couldn't understand it because, I mean, the, the thing that confuses most most people about baseball when they get here is there's so many numbers and there's so many stats. And, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, all we had to worry about were, you know, batting average and RBIs and ERAs and stuff like that. This was where you got into whips and wallops and all the stuff that they have. <laughs> so, I, so I came here... Um, I moved here um, in August of 91. And the first place I went to visit was Yankee Stadium. Wow. I, I mean, I'll never forget it. Um, it was it was September 1st. We were playing the Brewers, I believe. But I get walking into the upper deck and seeing the field. You know, I mean, back then, you know, they obviously moved the fences in. Um, but... You know, this was the original Yankee Stadium. I mean, this was the field where Root and Gehrig and DiMaggio and Mantle and, you know, Thurman Munson and, and all those great guys, Whitey Ford. It's the same field. And every year after that, every year that I went to opening day or I went to my first game, um, the first time that I would see that, like, the hairs would stand up on the back of my neck. Um, so, that, so basically, that, that was my introduction to baseball. So then I got a job as a bartender, um, and the uh, the guy that I worked for wasn't a huge fan of sport. You know, that's basically. Um, and again, we didn't have, you know, like the, the, we didn't have the access to sports that we did now. I mean, the closest thing we had, I mean, ESPN had just started. And the only problem with ESPN was you got Sports Center in the morning, and then you got four hours of bodybuilding. <laughs> And the world's strongest man competition. <laughs> but 
you know, and, and I can't tell you how many times I got busted where I would put on Sports Center to try and have something other than CNN and would forget to change it. And my boss would walk in as there's like, you know, three broads on the, on the stage. But uh, the only book that was behind the bar was um, the Baseball Encyclopedia. And I started to read it. And to this day, it's my favorite book. And everywhere that I have ever worked, mm-hmm. and I but everywhere I've ever worked, and even and you know now now baseball encyclopedias are a thing of the past because we have all the information on our phone. But there's always been a baseball encyclopedia. So I had this, and this was an older one. It but um, so I would work Sunday nights, and obviously Sunday nights you had Sunday night baseball, and Sundays in the city were quiet. So I would sit and I'd watch the game that they would mention, whether it would be Henry Aaron or whether it would be I Cobb or whoever it might be. I would go and I would look this dude up or, you know, they'd say, well, you know, so-and-so has, you know, the fifth most home runs in the history of baseball. And what used to drive me nuts is they wouldn't tell you who the other four were. So I would say that fine. Four. And this is, so I fell in love with the game, but the biggest reason was, but there's a lot of reasons. Obviously the baseball that I loved is changing. I don't know if it's for the better or not, but mm-hmm. what I loved about the game is, that in the 150 years or whatever that they've been playing, still 60 feet, six inches to home plate, still 90 feet between the bases, you know, and still the hardest thing in sports, trying to hit a round stick with a round ball. Um, and, uh, you know, and also when you look at the game, I mean, the Yankees are playing right now and, and Hunjin Ryu is, is basically kicking the show of the Yankees. <laughs> I mean, this big, big fat guy. I mean... There's no other sport that he can play. I mean, he's never going to get a modeling contract. But uh, and the thing is, there's a there's a kid. He's 21 years old. He's the he's the catcher for the uh, Blue Jays, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Kirk. He's 21 years old. He's five foot eight and 275 pounds. I mean, sumo wrestling is the only thing that he would be qualified for. I mean, Jose Altuve. I mean, it's not about the size. Okay, you've got Giancarlo Stanton and you've got and you know. But that's the thing is, it's not about the you know, I mean, the size of the guy. One of one of my one of my favorite guys in the sport, and actually the first guy to ever sign a baseball for me, Joe McEwing spent his entire career being told he couldn't do it, you know, and now he's the bench coach on the on the Chicago White Sox and in a sport where he was told he was never going to be able to do it. The other thing is the history of the game. Mm-hmm. The game hasn't changed, and and you know, I mean, I would have this argument all the time. Um, you're a sports fan, right? So, what's your what's your favorite sport? Baseball, live and die. That's it. The greatest sport in the world. So the thing is, so here's the thing. So let's for a second compare the other sports, mm-hmm. right? So let's make an argument that Jim Brown was the greatest football player that ever played the game. Yes. I mean, you make the argument. Jim Brown comes back today with the size of the defensive lines and how fast they are. He couldn't do what he did then. Basketball, Will Chamberlain. He couldn't do what he does now because the size of the players and how much faster and bigger and stronger they've gotten. Hockey, Gordie Howe, even Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Bring them back now. They don't stand a chance. So let's go back to the best way this guy to ever play the game. You can argue all you want. Babe Ruth. He's a big fat guy, right? You bring Babe Ruth back. Well, I mean, you, you got to remember, he was fat at the end of his career, mm-hmm. but I mean, in his prime, you know, I, 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 I had some great pictures of him taking, you know, when he got to the Red Sox first or even before that. I mean, he, he wasn't always fat. He got fat later in life, but as we all do. 
But you bring him back tomorrow, you know, I guarantee it, he's, he's still going to be able to hit miles an hour. But you know what? All these guys can hit 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to see the bats that Root swung. Oh, of course. Yeah, those heavy 50-ounce 50 50, uh, bats. I mean, they make what these guys are swinging now look like, like uh, toothpicks, you know. So that, that's why I fell in love with the game. I love the fact that the history of the game. I love the fact that no matter what game you listen to or, or watch, mm-hmm. that you will not watch a baseball game without them referring back to um, the history of the game. And, uh, you know, it's so it's, it's kind of, it's almost like the history of baseball is like a, a huge tablecloth that's constantly folding in on itself. It's at six degrees of separation. You know, I mean, you look around and you see, you know, that they're talking about, you know, like with this Blue Jays team. And you see, well, the Blue Jays is a great example. Perfect look. example with, with uh, Biggio and Vlad Jr. All their offspring are playing for the Blue Jays. Correct. And actually, the funny story, so you asked me um, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever knows where I'm from. But I'm from Cavan, as in Cavan Biggio. And that's why he's called Cavan Biggio, because Biggio's wife's family are from the same county that I was, where I was born. No shit, but, really. So that's why his first, I mean, it's not a very common first name, but that's why it is. That was like, basically that was Craig Biggio's or the parents, his parents homage to his grandparents. Speaking of parents and grandparents, is it true your dad was friends with Mickey Mantle or did Mickey Mantle give your dad a jersey? What's the story with your dad and Mickey Mantle? Um, my father worked in two very famous restaurants um, when he was here, so he he was he left he left home when he was seventeen. Went to uh, he went he was on the ships for years. The Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mary. He went around the world seven times, twenty times to Australia. And you know he 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 basically he, he got off in New York. And again, he got off New York pretty much for the same reason why I came to New York because he knew people here. And so he went to work in two very famous restaurants. He went to work uh, during the day. He worked in a place called Touchers, and he worked uh, he worked lunch in Touchers, and he worked dinner and supper in the Rainbow Rooms, which is in Rockefeller Center, it's, uh, on the 64th, 65th floor of the Rockefeller Center. Um, now, the one thing is, my father hates sports. <laughs> okay, now, he's 85 years old. Um, and sometimes, I mean, even, you know, he would hang out with me and Foley's and he would try to get involved, but he would ask the same questions over and over again. But he would try to show an interest in like, soccer and stuff like that. He hated baseball. No interest in baseball at all. I, I, I took him. Now, I, I, one thing I'll mention at this stage is we are, um, we are related to Vin Scully. How, how so? How so? Vin Scully's mother and my grandmother were two sisters. Wow. Vince, so the, Vince Scully, the greatest who's ever done it. Correct. So I came home one evening and, and my father said to me, he said, you're somebody called Vince Scully. And he, uh, he said, uh, I, and I'm thinking, I said, no, he's something to do with baseball. I'm like, hold on. You mean Vince Scully? I said, yeah. He said, we're related. And so I was like, oh, shit. So a couple of years later, when we started the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, um, I'm, I'm really good friends with Peter O'Malley and, and Steve Garvey. Peter's the... Uh, guy who used to own the Dodgers and mm-hmm. um, uh, so Peter set it up for so we inducted Vin and I knew he wouldn't come to New York I mean he was 85 at the time but Peter set it up for us to go to LA and, and meet with him so 
So we fly out and I bring my father with me. You know, we have a private audience with Tim Scully, we, 20 minutes or whatever it is. And uh, I brought a friend of mine who's a huge baseball fan who was the SID at UC Riverside at the time. But anyway, we go to the game. And, uh, you know, we have basically everything that the, 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 the uh, doors of the booth has been closed. No one's allowed in. We have Vince Scully's undivided attention. And I have five million baseball questions that I want to ask. So we walk in and um, Vince says, are, are these the men from Cavan? And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is Vince Scully and he knows who we are. And uh, so before we get a chance, my father's my father says, Vin, like you knew him all his life, he said, Vin, I, I he said, I remember when your mother came back to Ballycannell in nineteen forty seven. And then look, you don't fucking remember what you had for breakfast. <laughs> so and the thing is, you know, starts talking about Vin's family had left the the the, the, the town um where my father grew up. When my father was very young, and when I mean the left town, they moved like ten miles away. But my father um, helped them catch all the chickens. And then was said, oh "My God, my mother used to tell me the story about that. How there, were, there was how the, everybody had to catch the chickens." I'm, I, I'm like, here I am, surrounded by greatness in Dodger Stadium, talking about catching chickens in Ireland. I was like, this, is not, you know, <laughs> you Sean, know, that's amazing. You know, so it was, you know, so, so back to, back to my, so my father, so, so that, like I said, that was it. So we, 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 we presented him with the award. The Dodgers came out, you know, they made it, we put us on the big screen. Everything was great. And then we sat down to watch the game. And it was, this was, it was the Dodgers and the Giants when the Dodgers were, and the Giants were both good. And I was, we had front row seats, front row seats. And every so often, Vin would see us because we were in the same, we are like the boot next to his and he'd wave and, he mentioned us on the air and he talked about his plaque and his love for Ireland. And uh, he loved going to Ireland. But I think one of the reasons why he loved going to Ireland was uh, no one knew who he was. So he was, he could just be an ordinary, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't Ben Scully. So, so back to, so my father worked in Touch Yours. Now back then, Touch Yours was where everybody went. It was, you know, I mean, the list of people that my father met there, it's a who's who. I mean, it's everybody from, you, not only all the movie stars went in there because it was a different time. Mm-hmm. You didn't have agents, you didn't have cell phones, so you had. I mean, the actors had to basically beg for their work, and, and one of the places they went was Touch Yours because that's where all the movers. So you had actors trying to get jobs, you had producers trying to get money to make movies. You know, they were they were all there, and then you know you had a lot of you know Frank Gifford used to go there, um, like you said, DiMaggio. Um, you know, Mickey, Yogi, all of those guys. Now, like I said, my father didn't like baseball. So my father took care of, of the, the, the baseball players because he didn't bother them. Never looked for anything. Never asked them anything. Wasn't slobbered about, oh, my God, Mickey, that was a great game you had today. How many home runs did you hit today? So the, and and, and the, the, they liked that. They liked the fact that, they could go and not be bothered and just hang out or what have you. And so around the time Mickey died, um, we're, I'm at home. We're at the time we're living in Long Island city and, um, I'm watching, um, I'm watching, I can't remember what it was. It must be an MSG with the Yankee game or something like that. My father comes in and they were showing 
I mean, they didn't they didn't wait. They had an ad for it with Steiner, one of these places, where they had Mickey Mantle jerseys, signed Mickey Mantle jerseys that they were selling, and they were selling for like ten thousand dollars a piece. And my father said, "What's that?" And I follow what she said. Oh, he said, "He said, is that that guy Mickey? Yeah, it's a Mickey Mantle." Oh, he said he gave me one of those. I said, what? He gave me a signed jersey from a game that he played. At. He said, I think it might have been a World Series. It was like a, he said it was some kind of final. I mean, World Series. I said, yeah. He said he signed the jersey and he gave it to me. He said he wanted to give it to me, thank me for being so nice. And all I'm thinking is, okay, that's a $50,000 jersey. Where in the world could that jersey be? I haven't seen it. You know? I said, where is it? He said, I'll give it away. I said, what do you mean you give it away? He said, what would I want with it? He said, I'm not going to wear it. He said it was dirty. But... Unbelievable. Well, here's a better one, and this this might appeal to you more from the point of view of you know what what you do for your day job. So, um, like I said, he took care. So he worked lunch there, and uh, so he had a, he had a section, and he did the back section, and it's the very back of the restaurant, and there were two big round tables in the back, and I mean you've heard the expression, we've all heard the expression, you know, always sit with your back to the wall. Well, the guy who started that was a guy by the name of Frank Costello, who you're probably aware of, or may not. Well, if anyone who's not aware of, but Frank Costello ran New York. Of course, he did. You know, I mean, he was he 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 was John Gotti. He was better than John Gotti. He was bigger. He was he was and he, he was bigger than Gotti, and he was smarter than Al Capone. And he ran he, like he ran all the clubs, and you know, and I, it's ironic because Costello is a big Irish name. You know, and my father made this statement and said, are you Irish? <laughs> but so he has a two round table. But Frank Costello was the guy who started that. And that, that the whole idea was you always sat with your back to the wall because, you know, back then, you know, they'd, you know, like to walk into restaurants and shoot somebody. But I mean, if you can see the doors and see it and you're sitting with your back to the wall, you can see what's going on. Like when when Touch Yours, which was, like I said, very famous, when they moved, so they moved from 51st Street Street. Um, he 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 had the last say on the architecture, and he had the last say because he was able to pick his table so that he could see every entrance. But like I said, really? Oh yeah. I'll give you two other stories about about Costello. Of before. course, yeah, this is awesome. He was in on trial for something, and he sat at the the, the table, and he had a packet of Chesterfield cigarettes. And right, and I got to remember back then, you know. You, you could smoke wherever you wanted. So, but he was, he, he had a packet of Chesterfield cigarettes and all he did, moved them up and down, never took a cigarette out, but never, you know, this is all he did. They got so much, Chesterfield got so much um, play out of, because back then you had 11 newspapers that they gave Costello, uh, Costello $100,000 just for the publicity they got from him sitting there playing with a packet of cigarettes. He was a marketing genius before his day. And the other thing was, um, anybody that knows anything about Joe DiMaggio knows that he was extremely cheap, and people didn't couldn't understand why. Um, when he decided to retire, he was he was offered the first hundred thousand dollar contract as a player, but he walked away from it, and people could never understand why he walked. Years, no one ever knew. Um, but what happened was, like I said back then, Frank Costello controlled um, a handful of the top nightclubs. You know, the, I don't know all the names. Big one was the Coca Cabana, but he had five or six different places. And 
So what he did was uh, he told he said to the Maggio, he said, listen, he said, I'll make a deal with you. He said, every time you go to one of my clubs, it's like, and, uh, and you know, your, your picture appears in the paper. He said, I'll take care of you. And he did. So Frank Costello opened a bank account in the Bowery Bank um, for Frank in, in, you know, in his name. And every time, again, back to remember, 11, there were 11 papers a day and there were seven newspapers only printed at night. Um, but every time that, that he showed up in one of the places, mm-hmm. he would put money into the account. When he retired in 51, there was $1.5 million in that account. Are you serious? Yeah, deadly serious. And the thing is, I heard this for years, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until um, Richard Ben Kramer wrote his book on the Maggio that it's actually in the book. So, Sh- Sean, know, that's incredible. I've never heard that in my life. Yeah, uh, Richard Ben Kramer. Richard Ben Kramer is uh, is is that. Uh, so, so back to Frank Costello, right? So Frank Costello sat in the corner table, right, every day for lunch. The other corner table was a guy who went on to become Chief Justice Warren. Before he was Chief Justice Warren, he was the um, he was the was it the the prosecutor. The DA. In the DA. The, he was the DA for Manhattan. He had the other table. So basically, you've got Costello in one corner, mobster. You've got DA Warren in the other corner, who basically spends all his day trying to put Costello in jail. And every day they had lunch six feet away from each other. And every day, whichever one of them came in last, would always go over and say hello, exchange pleasantries. You know, I mean, talk about a different time. Like complete gentlemen. Yeah. Like, and then, like you said, they would, they would, you know, like basically Chief Justice Warren or DA Warren would get um, after his lunch and, you know, say, Mr. Costello or Frank or whatever you call them, you have a nice day and, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. And then he went to the office where all he was trying to do was put him in jail. Sure, sure. This is what. This is why you're the ultimate bartender, bar owner. This is why rudging your blood. You can just tell stories about fascinating things that everyone knows about, man. That's why everyone loved your place. So let me. I'm going to finish the Frank Costello one for you. Okay. 1969. My father decides that my father always wanted to open up his own bar. I mean, I always wanted to open mine. The difference was he opened up his in Ireland. So he decides he's going to move back to Ireland. Um, so. Uh, you know, he's he's at work one day and uh, Costello comes in and, you know, my father goes to take his order and Costello calls him Irish. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, Irish, I hear you're leaving me. Well, I hear you're leaving me. He said, yeah, I'm going back to Ireland. And Costello just made some comment about, you know, I hear Harry over there. He wouldn't go one end of a gun from the other said, don't worry, Mr. Costello. And he's like, oh, you can handle a gun. And he said, oh, listen, of course I can handle it. Like I said, wouldn't know which end to use. <laughs> so when's your last day? It's Tuesday. So he said, okay. So Tuesday comes, and uh, my father goes to take Costello's order. Now, Costello would have lunch. And when he, once he was finished lunch, he would have coffee. And when you served coffee to Costello, there was a flask of coffee was sent out 
to his driver, who was sitting outside on 51st Street, probably idling the car, which we can't do anymore either, <laughs> waiting for him. Um, so, so my father gives Costello his copy, and he says, hey, Irish, don't send the busboy out with the copy. I want you to go. Oh. I said, okay. So my father goes out, taps on the window, and the driver says, are you Irish? He says, yeah. He hands him a box. He says, don't open this box so Mr. Costello had left. My father took the box, put it in his locker. Didn't think nothing of it. I mean, it's you know, a busy place for lunch, goes back to work. Mm-hmm. Well, he's finished. He's emptying his locker, and he remembers the box. Opens up the box. There's a gun in the box. Now, now, granted, we're not talking about a old 45 or a Smith & Wesson or anything like that. It was one of those, like, I guess a little, like, basically girly guns. Okay, like a, a, a little 22, maybe a small little gun? Well, it was a 22, yeah. Little gun. And uh, I was like, so he was like, he didn't know what to do. So he, he brought the gun to Ireland. I, for years, that I grew up hearing all these stories and and meeting the people that would could collaborate the stories and you know uh, he would always tell us about the gun and tell us about the gun. So he went on to open a very successful um, bar in New York or in Ireland. And so, but we could never find the gun. So when when he closed up the bar in New around the time that I came here, um, you know. So then 1997 or 1998, he wanted to come out and live with me and. You know, he's basically retired. So when I got Foley's, he had a few, not necessarily um, baseball stuff, but he had a few like knick- knickknacks and chatskis and stuff like that that meant something to him. And so he wanted to bring them out. So brother-in-law's a carpenter. So my brother-in-law made this big box, shipped all the stuff out. Mm-hmm. So this box arrives, we start going through it. So I'm emptying out the stuff. And what's in the bottom of the box? Only the gun that we didn't know we had. Shipped it over? It, it shipped over. <laughs> Better than that. So, it, I mean, it had gone through. I mean, there was. here's the thing. There was so much junk in this box that even if they x-rayed it, it probably wouldn't have come up. <laughs> and, um, but, so, we, so we, we had for, so, so we have the gun. And he's like, well, what are we going to, what are we going to, what are we going to do with this gun? You know, I was like. And, uh, you know, I said, well, look, well, we, need to, we need to find out, um, you know, what we can do with the gun. And uh, so um, my, his name escapes me now, but the commanding officer at Midtown South at the time okay. um, was a good friend of ours. And, uh, well, I mean, they all were. I mean, we had, look, we had good relationship with all of them because we, we never did anything to, to, to have to call them for any other reason. We were always involved with, you know, the community board and stuff like this. So I said, listen, I made a, I called him and he was, this guy was a big baseball fan and I would take him to a couple of games. It's actually kind of funny. I would get him, the, I would get him the tickets. Um, um, Jimmy McCarthy. Okay. Okay. Uh, he went on to be, he, he, in fact, I think he's some pretty, he was, he was a, big deal in, in Queens at one point, but it's kind of funny because I, I get him the tickets, which is great, uh, but he could get me from Manhattan to City Field or yeah, Shea Stadium as it was then in 15 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, as, as you know, you know, in, in, in most of the precincts, you know, that like the, the, um, 
you know, the CEO's office is like right inside the door and it's all, you know, glass, you know, what have you. And uh, so we go over to see Jimmy, we're sitting down. And the next thing is my father produces the gun in front, in front of Jimmy. And I thought Jimmy was going to die and I thought I was going to die. Quick. What are you doing? He's like, you know, I mean, because there's rookie cops and all the rest of it. And suddenly this guy produces a gun. And uh, we had told him the story of the gun before this, but I hadn't expected my father to bring it with him. And pull it out in the captain's office. Pulled it out in the captain's office. And I, it's one of the one of the many times my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> but the, the funny thing, I mean, it's, you know, and I, you know, I mean, I, I, I doubt if Costello committed too many murders with that gun, but the fact that, you know, we have this piece of Americana that ties you to, you know. To one of the most of infamous friends. mobsters of all time. Yeah, well, I mean, here's here's the weird thing. So, I mean, I've been lucky enough. Um, I've met a lot of interesting people over the years, you know, and I always like to ask people, I'm like, you know, who's the most interesting person they'd ever met? Mm-hmm. Um, but so when I started the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame at the time, Honey Mack, who might be considered the, I mean, one of the greatest Irish Americans in the sport of baseball, I mean, his name is Cornelius McGillicuddy. But by the way, as we're speaking, that little tubby uh, guy I was saying about Kirk just got a base hit to burn him to the uh, Blue Jays. Of course he but did. The, um, you know, so his, his daughter was still alive. She's 95 years of age. So, you know, I got in touch with um, my daughter and for her to come for the induction ceremony. You know, I mean, she's 95. I mean, she's Connie Mack's daughter. So, you mean... We're talking about, forget about six degrees of separation. We're one degree away from, you know, the greatest owner in baseball history, the guy with the most wins. And the only reason why he had the most wins as a manager is because he owned the team and he wasn't going to fire himself because he also had losses. Yeah, he has an under 500 record. You know that, right? Yeah, without a doubt. The, the rule about managers wearing, you know, why the managers have to wear uniforms, that comes from Tony Mack. He refused to wear a uniform. Annie Mack's son was a coach on the team. He would send the son out. The son would go to the umpires and they'd say, my father said to tell you that he doesn't like that player. My father said to tell you this, that, and the other. And they would say, we don't give a fuck what your father said. <laughs> so the reason why I bring up Annie Mack, so here's, here's Ruth Mack Clark, 97 years of age, and telling the stories about Mickey Cochran. Now, are you a Yankee or a Mets fan? Yankees fan. I got two seats from Yankee Stadium in my apartment right now, Sean. I have. Well, I actually, well, I'm not, not, not playing the comeuppance. I no, have, you're allowed to at Foley's. Don't worry. Well, I have a seat from '74, and I have, but I have a seat from the locker room from 1924. Oh but uh, so anyway, so you may or may not know that um, Mickey Mantle is named after Mickey Cochran. Mm-hmm. Famous catcher for the Philadelphia Age. He's a Hall of Famer too. Great catcher, one of the greatest catchers in the history of the game. Funny thing is that so Mickey's named after Mickey Cochran, but Mickey Cochran's real name isn't Mickey. But the only person I've ever met who who had a bad word to say about Mickey Cochran was Ruth McClark, because when the A's got Mickey Cochran, the catcher that they got rid of, she used to visit. So, so Ruth Mac, so this is a Ruth McClark. She's telling us now. Picture this: so she was a kid. She was a kid back in the twenties. Connie Mac never drove, so she used to job was she would drive her father to the stadium. She would sit with him. She would sit in the owner's box, 
and you know watch the games and you know but and you know every year she go to the world i mean they didn't go to the world series but every year carly mack would go she would sit with her father you know so she saw some of the greatest games i mean gotta remember she got she was front and center for murderers row and all those great things and you know and um the one thing she, the other thing she used to do is so whenever the whenever the teams would come to visit the phillies uh, the a's sorry at the time um, you know, the, the big players at that time would always want to come and pay their respects to Connie Mack. Uh, I mean, it happens uh, to a lesser extent now. You, you know, I mean, you know, you'll see. But back then, they couldn't. There was no, there was no fraternization allowed on the field, so you mm-hmm. couldn't do do it during batting practice. But back then, you weren't allowed. So, um, so they would come to Con- to Connie Mack's office, and then um, she would take the players back to the locker room and she would so here and I said so you know who who are your favorites and she used to say oh you know um you know I used to like when Mr. Root and you know Mr. Garrig would come by and, and I'm like you mean Babe and Lou wow and she, you know she's like they were they were all my, my, my you know they used to love to come and see my father and my father used to love and see them but she said I have to tell you my favorite um, so nice to me, and you know, I used to love when whenever he would come to see my father. Um, was Al Capone? <laughs> Al Capone would go see Connie Mack. Oh yeah, yeah. Al Capone, Al Capone was a huge baseball fan. Now Al Capone actually was a failed baseball player, but a huge baseball fan. And I and I'm thinking to myself, hold on a second. And you have to just take a step back because you think, I mean. You know, you, you think of Al Capone, and all you think of is, you know, you know Robert De Niro playing him in the movie. Don't think that this was a real person. But you know, yeah, yeah, she was. He was so nice to me, and he always took such good care of me. And whenever we went to Chicago, he always took such good care of my father. And I was like, you know, I mean, it's that's what I mean. It's just like it's just wild, you know. I mean, that, that blows I asked, your mind. I mean, I asked that same question to. Um, you know, so, I mean, like you said, lucky enough, you meet a lot of different people. And, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough recently um, before the world went uh, to shit. The world, well, well, yeah, I guess that's the word. I don't know what the proper word is that you can use for it. Um, but I got, um, I got to know um, Mauricio Suleiman, who's head of the WBC, the boxing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, the funny thing is, he was one of the first guys to reach out to me. He wants me to take my entire collection and open a place in Mexico. Really? And I said to him, I said, Mauricio, buddy, I said, no disrespect. I said, but I spent the first 20 years of my life trying to get into this country. I said, I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> but, I, you know, so, you know, we're chatting and he's a big baseball fan. He's a big Cincinnati Reds fan. And I were chatting and we're chatting. I mean, you got to remember, his dad... Is the guy that's responsible, Jose Suleiman. I mean, he he was he was head DC from I think from 1975 until he died in 19 in 2014. I mean, that's 40 years. And you think of those 40 years. I mean, think of all the boxes that you know. I mean, that's the end of Ali. That you know, I, not just Tyson, but that's you know, Hagler. George Foreman, all, all those guys. I mean, and 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 not just you know, and all the different weights, you know. And we we're chatting, and uh, so I said to him, I said, I said, who's the most interesting person uh, that you've met? 
It doesn't have to be a boxer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a baseball player. So, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if I can say that he's somebody I met. He said, because he's actually somebody that I'm a very good friend of mine. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. He said, Pope Francis. And I'm like, there's a picture on his phone of him hugging the Pope. Now, one of the things you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to touch a Pope. Mm-hmm. You can kiss the ring. Right, but you don't. But t- technically, you don't ever touch. You don't touch him. And he's like, "Yeah, he's a good friend of mine." And that he knows about you. Which mean he knows about me? He said, "No, I told him about you. I told him the story. I tried when he came to New York um, to get him to sign a baseball for me. Um, you know, I put out a press release that I said that I would pr- I would pay for um, I think it was ten thousand meals for the homeless if he would sign a baseball." So got a little play in the paper, and uh-huh. uh, you know, and it was weird because you know you, you meet so many different people at Foley's. You never you never know who you're talking to, you know. I mean, you, you meet a lot of people in your line of work, but you never know, you know, when you get talking to somebody who's related to somebody or who lives, you know. And in the in um, you know, and I so I you know I was I was I had like at least three customers come in to me and say, hey, you know what? I don't know if I can get it done for you, but. You know, my brother does this and my father does this. You know, and I'm like, look, I just want, I don't want to talk. I mean, I don't want to meet him. I'd love to meet him. I don't want to meet him. Uh-huh. But, you know, I mean, all I want to do is sign a baseball for me. And I will, you know, I ended up, I did do the, uh, did do the meal regardless. But, but the funny story about it is one of my good customers at the time was on the board of the Catholic Charities. Okay. And he had not a private audience, but they had like, a, they, they had, they had a private meal. Um, you know, with the, I guess it was a semi audience with him, and uh, so he said, Sean, like he said, I'm not gonna make any promises. He said, but he said, the papal nuncio who's handled deal, I know him. He said, I'll mention it to him. So, uh, I said, look, that's all I can ask for, really, that's all I can ask for. So, he comes back to me, he said, Listen, I'm sorry, he said, I struck out getting you. Don't worry about it. He said, but he said, I have a funny story for you. So, we had our picture taken with the Pope, and we got a chance to kiss the ring. And, you know, and he said, I said, hey, um, I don't mean to bother you, but there's a friend of mine who owns this Irish bar. And he said, oh, what is this Irish bar? He has my hair. Everybody wants him to sign the baseball. baseball. <laughs> the Pope, he don't play baseball. You know, like, but he just to sign the baseball. And he said, no, 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 no. When I told Mauricio that story, he told the Pope that story. And Mauricio told me, he said, listen, and in fact, no, no. Sooner than like a month ago, I was talking to him and he said, Sean, I haven't forgotten. He said, the next time, he said that the timing is right. He said, you're going to meet the Pope. In my collection, uh-huh. I do have this ball signed by Pope John Paul II. Well, now I, we have to pause you now because I want to hear, because once you mentioned Pope Francis, I'm like, oh, is Sean telling the wrong story? Because I know he has a ball signed by uh, Pope John Paul. Let's go to Foley's. When did you open up Foley's and when did you decide you wanted to make it a mecca for baseball fans, writers, umpires, and players. When was that vision for you? Okay, 17 years ago, next week, I walked through the doors of Foley. I scared out of my mind. Um, You know, I had basically, I walked through the door. I had 42 cents in my pocket. I mean, I know everyone's got these stories. I had 42 cents in my pocket. There was a homeless guy across the street outside the Empire State. I went across the street and I gave it to him. I said, you know what, fuck it. I said, I'm going to start with nothing and we'll see what goes. And that's when I walked through the doors. So I, I had gotten to meet the guy who owned the bar before me. It was called PG Kings at the time. Mm-hmm. 
you know, through a long negotiations, I agreed with him. I, he finally agreed to sell me half of the place um, on the proviso that I managed owner and all that. And then eight years later, I was able to buy the second half. But, um, I mean, I didn't set out to do what we did. Um, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I grew up in the rest hospitality industry. It's, it's what I know. It's mm-hmm. you know, I'm, and truthfully, it's what I miss most in the last six months. Is the is just the fact of not talking to people. Oh. I mean, you're surrounded. And and, and, and and look, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not talking about the Brian Cashmans. Of course, the, of course. I mean, it, it's it's cool that I know all these guys and that David Wright's a buddy of mine and David Cohn's a buddy of mine and mentioned me on the air or. The, the Rays broadcasters are friends of mine and the guy who does the Red Sox game. No, I mean, just talk, I mean I'll, I'll walk into a supermarket and I'll see a little old dear and I feel like stopping her and asking her how her day is and where she's from and everything, you know. And I have to stop myself or I'm going to get arrested. Um, I I wanted I wanted to... I, I mean, look, we, everybody, you know, I mean, when you do something like that, you, you know, you're... you're you, you want to be famous, you want to be rich, you want to, you know, did I want to make money? Obviously, I want to make money. I have young kids, well, they're not so young now, but they're 25 and, and 22. They live in Ireland, but, mm-hmm. you know, 17 years ago, they were eight and five. You know, I only wanted to take care of them. So I walked through the door and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I wanted. 20 years ago, you stop anybody on the street, black, white, yellow, doesn't make any difference. And you ask them, tell me what an Irish bar means to you. And they're going to tell you that, well, it's a, it's a, a warm welcome, a welcoming atmosphere, friendly staff, good food, and obviously cold beer. And, this is, and i got, got, got to remember, too, 20 years ago, we didn't have fruity beers and flaky beers and craft beers. And, no, beers made with biscuits and geraniums and geronimos and cabbage. You know, it was it was a lot simpler then. But that's what I wanted to do. Um, the, the thing is, well, the other thing I wanted to do is, I just said, so, you know, I mean, how am I going to be any different from the 7 million other Irish bars in New York? I'm like, well, I just, one thing it said is, I wanted it to have an Irish name, but with a baseball connection. And that's, you know, and, and to be honest, I mean, that, that in itself is a story, because I basically invited a group of guys who... Uh, we're all working for MLB.com. Who had just MLB.com was in. I mean, this is, you know, we're, we're talking about 2003. I mean, the internet was in its infancy. We didn't, we didn't, and nobody, and we didn't have the you know, access that we have now. You know, I mean, and they were just starting. So at the time, I was the day I used to work to borrow my own on a, on a Sunday because I couldn't get anyone else to do it. And uh, I invited them all to come in, and I said, "Here's the deal." I said. The beer is free for the for the duration of the Jets game. Mm-hmm. Has to get a name for the bar. It has to be an Irish name, but it has to have a baseball. And you know, so yeah, of course, I probably should have gotten the name out of them before I started giving them the beer because of the, <laughs> you know, the the, uh, the the it got, you know, it got, um, you know, the word the word you know the word they're coming up with. Simpson are coming up with different guys, and McGreevy's was one that came up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, McGreevy's actually was the one that I kind of, if it hadn't been Foley's, I would have liked to have been McGreevy's. My reason is is that I'm uh, okay. So you're a Yankee fan, so obviously we all know about Tessie and that obnoxious song that the Red Sox. Oh yes. Right. Well, 
I might be the only. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, but I'm a baseball fan first because I have so many friends in the game. And I, I, I can be honest. I mean, you know, we're, we're 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 both lucky enough to see them win five World Series in the past, you know, less than twenty years. Yep. I mean, I, I once it's not the Mets or the Red Sox, I, I'm okay with. Well, once it's not the Mets or the Red Sox or the Astros, I'm okay with somebody else winning for Jays. And like I said. I literally have friends on every single team, so I have to be a bit like Switzerland. Yeah, of course. Of course. But, but, Sean, you know, I'll tell you right now, the Rays are kind of growing out on me as who I don't want to win now. Like, this year, it's either the Yankees, and I can't have the Rays win it. You know, they're talking too much trash, and it's becoming our biggest rival. I know you're friends with a lot of them, but that's my other uh, r- rival right now. I just got off the phone with the owner. <laughs> yeah, but, you see, I've seen both sides of that. you got to understand that. I mean, it's not so much, I mean, they're not talking trash, but you have to remember, for the last 10 years, since they started to become relevant, yeah, they've, I mean, the, the trash talking that gets done to them and oh, how they get... Of course. So that's, so I mean, I mean, listen, I mean, that's, here's one example. I mean, um, Araldus Chapman, he was throwing the ball at their heads. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And and he and he should have been suspended. And he should serve the suspension, but he's not going to serve the suspension till next year because they don't have any witnesses for the case. Yeah, they're doing that double appeal. I know it's it's nonsense. He, watch, they don't what witness do, do you need? You have the you have twenty seven different camera angles. But anyway, so back to the thing. So so the McGreevy. Um, the two people that are, are regarded as being the first baseball fanatics or baseball fans were both fans of the Boston Red Sox. One of them was a guy called Honey Fitz, who was the Lord, who was the Lord Mayor of, of um, Boston, and um, JFK's grandfather. The, the F in JFK, which was Honey Fitz's last name. And the second one was a guy called McGreevy. And McGreevy owned a famous bar basically in the shadow of Fenway Park. And it was called McGreevy's Third Base. Mm. And the reason why it was called McGreevy's Third Base because third base is the last place you go before you go home. Oh, How creative and is that? I mean, how creative is that? And that was in, you know, this is in 1916. And McGreevy was old school Irish. Um, and I don't like the expression, but basically was off the boat Irish. But mm-hmm. he carried a shillelagh, which is basically a, a, an Irish weapon, um, in the inside pocket of the suit. And if ever there were two boys at the bar, that would get start to argue and the ar- argument would get heated. Gravy would pull the shillelagh out and he'd slam it on the bar between the two guys and he'd say, Nuff said. And he became known as Nuff said McGreevy. So basically, here, here, here I have an Irish name uh-huh. that has a baseball connection but also has a Boston connection so it's kind of like it was almost like subliminal. Listen, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of a lot of friends in the Red Sox organization. There, the, the the GM right now, Hein Bloom, is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I know the owners of Red Sox. 
and you know, I mean, I and uh, going back for years, and I, you know, I have a, I have a lot of, but I don't like his Red Sox fans. But they, they're the worst. But my landlord takes their money. Well, my landlord used their money too. But now you you might be familiar with the next part of the story. So McGreevy's, I would like to have used, but um, you know Liam from Legends. Of course, yeah. Well, I'm good friends with Ender, who's there now. Yeah. Right. Well, Liam is one of the part owners there, and Liam used to be a bartender in, in Dempsey's. Liam's last, Liam and I worked together for eight years. Oh, okay. Liam is McGreevy. And I, how can I name a bar after my buddy who lives on the block? You know, I mean, it could be a little bit awkward. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't use McGreevy, and thank God I couldn't because after we changed the name to Foley's, the... Um, Old scandal broke with the governor in New Jersey. <laughs> it would have changed the whole uh, perception of your bar. Precisely. Uh, the next one I wanted was was Morgan's. Okay, that's um, a good one. Right after a good friend of mine, Joe Morgan, not the Cincinnati Reds. The, the there's the, the white Joe Morgan as well. And Joe was a man, Joe, Joe was known as Walpole. Joe Joe was a lifetime minor league manager, and actually for the Red Sox too. But that's not how I got to know him. But um, you know, and a huge, huge baseball guy, and a, and a huge fan of Scotch. Um, you know, and I wanted to name it after him, but literally, right as I was getting ready to change the name, um, Ian Schrager opened the hotel on Madison Avenue, and he called it Morgan. So I'm like, well, I, I can't use Morgan's. Um, so the boys are there, and we're, you know, McEwings, Kiddo McEwings, you know, and we're, we're not getting anywhere, you know, and door opens, and who walked in? Only Red Foley. And again, Fred is also a friend of mine. And uh, so someone said, why don't you call it Foley's? You know, and I was like, yeah, why not? I never thought, to be honest with you, I never thought of it. So I said to, there was one of the guys who was there, and this was back when bars had jukeboxes and phone books. And the phone books were stacked on top of the jukebox. And I said to one of the guys, I said, Mike, can you grab that phone book? He said, look in the, the business section and see if there's a bar in New York and uh, which was my first mistake because I probably should have had somebody who was sober and could read <laughs> and he said no 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 there's no one I said that's it Foley so next morning I called my attorney and I said okay because I had one shot I had no I literally I had no money I, everything I had was in this bar and uh, I I mean I I, ha I, I paid a guy um, I had a friend who was a builder, and I said, listen, you have to do me a favor. I said, I need you to do a sign for me to go up outside. I said, I can't spend a lot of money on it. And he said, so he said, Sean, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, he said, I'll cut some letters of polystyrene for you. He said, and we'll spray them gold, and we'll stick them on a piece. He said, he said it, I, it might last two weeks. He said, it might last a month. But he said, it'll get you open. And then I, I said, look, if it lasts me a couple of, hopefully I said in a couple of months, I'll, you know, It'll be Paddy's Day, and I will have enough money for signs. That sign is still over the door to this day, seventeen oh, years. Really? But but uh, so when we, we looked in the phone book, I saw that at the time there was a Foley's restaurant in Times Square. It was a very it was a kind of a very posh fish restaurant, and it was on the second floor. One of, uh, it was it was yeah, yeah it was on the second floor of one of the buildings overlooking Times Square. And it was very fancy, you know. And I it took me a while to figure this out because for the longest time. You know, we'll call up and the guy, Foley's sick. Yes, this is Foley's. And they're like, uh, we'd like to make a reservation. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. I said, can we get a, can we get a, 
a table near the window. I'm like, yeah, okay, we can do that for you. And I'm like thinking, who the fuck wants to sit and look out on 33rd Street? So they were probably very disappointed when they went to the restaurant in Times Square and realized that they didn't have a thing. But uh, I, just before I opened Foley's, I'd gotten to know uh, some, one of my dearest, dearest friends mm-hmm. um, is Duke Castiglione. And Duke um, was a sportscaster for years here in New York. He was on New York One, and then he was at CBS, and he was at Fox, and he was he was at ESPN. And actually, Duke's dad is Joe Castiglione, who's the voice of the Red Sox. There's a lot of Red Sox guys here, but I have ties to all the different teams. But so through Duke, I got to know a lot of not not just Red Sox people, but baseball people, you know, and one thing I realized was, you know, that um, the people that are involved in the game of baseball, and I don't mean the players, the media, the umpires, scouts, that the baseball season for those guys is a grind, and that, you know, they're they're away from home for, you know, like, you know, everyone's, everyone's making a big deal about the fact that oh, the Yankees are going into a bubble. Mm-hmm. No, they're not going to, you know, God loves them, you know, they're not going to be home for 51 days. Um, Gary Sederstrom is a dear friend of mine, and he's just retired as a league umpire. And he was a crew chief. He was a crew chief for last year's World Series. Um, so Gary used to live in Minot, North Dakota, and he mightn't see his family for four months because it was so hard for him to get home. You know, so 51 days doesn't mean a whole lot. So what I wanted to do with Foley's was I wanted somewhere. I like Back to what I said about it, an Irish bar is someplace where you feel welcome, you feel safe, and, and that's what I wanted Foley's to be. I wanted someplace where the beat writer for the Cincinnati Reds or the umpire that's doing the Mets game, somewhere where they could come and, and feel that they're at home, that they're not like they're not sitting in a hotel bar, that they're not in Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, and it was someplace for them to come and break up the monotony of, you know, a 12. I mean, you know, it, you, know you, you don't realize just what a grind it is, you know, like, like, okay, just like for the record, all the writers that are covering the Yankee game tonight, my girlfriend Chrissy Ackert, who covers the Yankees for the Daily News, so they're covering this game tonight. They they'll they'll all get finished tonight about one o'clock, and most of them will have to be up at four thirty, get because there's only two flights a day out of Buffalo, um, and they'll have to fly back and basically go straight to the stadium for tomorrow night's game. And you know they do that for six months. It's a grind. So that was the whole idea of. So I, it became a, a someplace, a beacon for these people to come to when they came to New York. And as word spread, you know, more people would come. And I got to know a lot of minor league guys. Um, like I said, right first night in New York, he came to the police. Sean, I, I, Sean, let me ask you this. I know a lot of people who, you know, own bars, want to own bars, want to get in the business. When did you, and listen, sadly and unfortunately, many of them do fail. When did you know that Foley's was going to be special and like, okay, we're going to make it? Was there was there a moment? Was there a time like welcome to the show? You know you're gonna your your, your thing's gonna be like kind of long living. No, I might, I might be honest with you. It, it's a grind, and it was a grind that got harder and harder. Um, I mean, I, no, you can you can't the thing the thing about the the bar business. I mean, it's, the thing about the bar business up to March twelfth of twenty twenty was you couldn't stand still. You had to keep moving because if you stood still, you drowned. You know, so I mean it's. The, the the accolades and the mentions that you know I mean I when I recorded the video to to tell people that we were closing which was one of the hardest thing I had to do I mean uh. I, I mean I when I posted that I, was, I didn't know what I was doing but I said you know what people that will deserve to at least see this 
I mean, that was seen by 2.6 million people. I mean, it's just like, and, and you have to take a step back and figure like, wow. You know, I mean, the emails, I'm, I mean, I'm still getting messages from people saying, oh my God, I can't believe you're closed. You know, um, but like Foley's is not, Foley's is not 18 West 33rd Street. It's not, it's not, a, it's not, um, it's not, it's not a physical address. Foley's, what made Foley's was the people. So personally speaking, Foley's has not, I mean, Foley's is not gone. Foley's remains alive because of the, it was the people, it was the experiences, it was the friendships, it was the, you know, it's the people that, you know, that, that had their first dates there. You know, got engaged there, got married there. We had many a baby conceived after a night there, <laughs> and and that's that's what that's what Foley's saying. People, well, it's a brand. I'm like, no, it's you know what it is. It's a group of people, and you know that you know. It's, someone once said to me, said, you know what? You're never dead if people are still talking about you. You know, so while the doors aren't open. You know, I mean, I do the best I can every single day to stay in touch with the customers, to stay in touch with my friends, to stay in touch with the staff, you know, and, and, and I do hope that we rise again. And the thing is, you asked me at the start if I'd given up on New York. I haven't given up on New York, but um, is that I haven't given up on New York, mm-hmm. but I'm the people that are in charge of New York have given up on New York. You had a great quote, Sean. You said, this isn't the end of the game for Foley's. It's the end of an inning. So I thought that was a perfect. Now, wow. let me ask you this, Sean. Your Super Bowl uh, in the bar business, especially an Irish bar, is from like St. Patrick's Day and especially your bar with baseball to opening day. And that was like the ground zero of the closing. When it happened, did you think you guys were going to be able to make a comeback? Like when the restaurants start getting closed, this is your Super Bowl. It's St. Patty's Day. It's opening day baseball. It's March Madness. Did you think, okay, let's weather this storm and then we'll be okay? Okay, so let's let, so let's go back. Let's 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 go back. I I turned fifty in February, mm-hmm. and February obviously is a quiet month for us. There's not a whole lot happening. People are still paying their bills from Christmas and stuff like that. So I basically said I had just. Like I said, bought the condo in Florida last year. Down here covering the Yankees for spring training. I know all my friends. Half of my customers are in Florida for spring training. The other half are in Arizona. And uh, so basically, I said, you know what? I don't want gifts. I don't want a party. I don't want anything. But I said, what I'm going to do is I said, my gift to me is I'm taking the month of February off. And I'm going to Florida, which is what I did. And I came down and, and you know, my daughter surprised me. And then, you know, so... February comes to an end, and you know we're, we like we we like to plan three months ahead. We 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 had everything ready. We knew what we were doing for the Big East and for because you got you missed one because you had you had the Big East, mm-hmm. Paddy's Day, the NCAA tournament. But remember, the Elite Eight was in the Garden. Oh, I know because I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, so I had plans to go there to watch my Kentucky Wildcats. Well, you were assuming they were going to make it. To of course, I was. <laughs> and an opening day. And the weird thing was, most most Irish bars, I would say the vast majority of Irish bars, you ask them, "What's the busiest day of the year?" And it's either going to be St. Patrick's Day or New Year's Eve, depending on where you are. For us, opening day was within a couple of was within two or three thousand dollars of what we do on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, wow! With no drunks. And not having to have poor security on, and all the fun and frolics that goes with that. So I'm in Florida, and I had 
I didn't have the greatest relationship with my landlord because I, I my landlord changed three times in the in the last three years that I was there, and uh, you know the new the newest landlords were couldn't tell me as, as often enough that I wasn't going to get an, an extension and that I had four years left on my lease. Okay. I had basically kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I mean, four years goes by real fast. And um, so I came back up from Florida and a friend of mine, he and I do a lot of work. And, uh, you know, I support two, two of the scouting organizations, one of which actually just closed the shop yesterday. That he had a party at his house in Arizona every year, and every year I can never go because it's either the day before or or Paddy's Day. And this year was the first year where it was falling on a date that I could go, which happened to be that Thursday before um, the first before I think the before Paddy's Day. So I flew out, uh, and and one of the reasons I want to go out there, the, the, there's another very famous baseball bar that goes up here ago. Of Don and Charlie's in, in Scottsdale. And the Don from Don and Charlie's I'd gotten to know. And I, I wanted to go and talk to him and kind of pick his brain and see what he thought I should do. And, you know, so I, I flew out. And as I'm in the air, they canceled the baseball season. Oh, my and God. All the scouts that were supposed to be at this party had all been sent home. So instead of there being 200 people at the party, there were four. <laughs> <laughs> so I flew back to New York the next day, and at this point they hadn't they hadn't um, they hadn't decided what they were going to do about the the Big East. In fact, sorry, the Big East had started, but the first the first day of the Big East, there's, there's never much happening on the Wednesday, so Thursday. Uh, so I get back, and I'm talking to my managers. I'm literally as I'm talking to my managers, they cancel the parade, they cancel the NCAA tournament. So I I, I sent him. I said, "Look, I said I'm going back to Florida. I said, I, you guys, you know, you guys, you know, you're, you're in charge. I said, there's no need for three of us to stand here looking at each other. And then, literally, the day after I, uh, the day after I got to Florida, Cuomo shut all the bars down. And I, I had a meeting with, um, we met with the staff. We we, we had like a FaceTime meeting because we didn't know what Zoom was back then. And, uh, you know, it turned out that I had I had um, four or five kids that were all on graduate visas from Ireland. And they were like, well, we're going home. So I said, okay. So then I, I said, you know, we're going to close. Everyone's getting paid. And, you know, we'll play by year, you know. And then when it looked like it was going to be longer and, and a lot of places were firing all the staff and stuff like that, I knew I had a couple of guys that, for different reasons, couldn't get unemployment. Okay. So I reached out to every member of staff, and I said, look, I afford to pay you full, so I can afford to pay you at least half of what you're making. Okay. Now, granted, you know, the guys in the kitchen, I mean, they're still, these guys that were making $1,000 a week, so $500 a week, I mean, at least I knew that they could pay their bills. Okay. Um you know, but I mean, to tell a bartender that, listen, I can, you know, I mean, the bartenders and servers, I wasn't concerned about because, you know what, they, they were making huge, I mean, they're making, some of them are making 15, 16, $2,000 a week. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what, if you have to put money to one side, I'm sorry, there's not I can do, but, you know, I said, if you need, I mean, again, if you need a couple of dollars to pay bills, then we can figure that out. And, you know, so we thought, you know, and so pretty much we realized, okay, you know what, we've lost all of those things that you talked about. 
And I mean, without a doubt, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that, that month for Foley's um, was worth minimum $350,000 in sales. Holy shit. Um, and basically, I mean, it was the most, it was the most important, I mean, it's the most important month, but the reason why it's the most important month is January and February are the two quietest months. Yeah. But they're also the, the two the two hardest on, on expenditures because you know like my my insurance premiums on not just the memorabilia but the bar the property taxes come up in January as well so you know and normally what would happen is I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't take my salary for those months um, and then I'd hold on to all my paychecks and then once we started to get busy then I'd start cattling money you know so you know and then obviously so that the March and April and then the rest of it that you up for the rest of the rest of the year for the quiet months in the summer June July and August you know so when I we lost the month I, and I got listen like the one thing is, I'm not bitter about anything because I we no we have no control over this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can argue about how it was handled and how it's being handled and all that other stuff. But you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you. You, I mean, you you were up there the whole time. I mean, you're on the front lines of seeing what this did to families, what this did to precincts, what this has done to the city. You know, there's so many people that have lost their lives. I mean, I I didn't. I, I I didn't see that, but the people that I know did. I mean, one, one of my one of my chefs was taking his daughter for a walk, and they walk around the corner, and he walks into one of these things where they're loading body bags with a with a uh, forklift. Oh, and his him and his and his daughter has to see that. Well, she's too young to know what it was, but you know, so you know, like. I started planning from that that day about how we were going to survive, and I knew it was going to be hard. I, without a doubt, I knew it was going to be hard. But you know, there were so many people reached out to me that I was going. It was one of these times where I was going to have to lean on a lot of different people, whether it, you know, like whether it be Ron Darling or Al Leiter mm-hmm. or Michael or David Wright or you know Justin Pedroyer or any of these you know who offered to help. And I said, listen, I appreciate it. You know, we did what we did for the staff. We we did. Um, up t-shirts staff, you know, we donated all the money to the staff. I, I liquidated every uh, investment that I could in the staff um, before the PPP. Uh, and I continued to pay them because they were my family. And the way I look at it, I've got 15 families that are relying on me to, to eat. You know, so I'm like, uh, if I can help them, I'm going to help them every which. One of the things that was most important with food is, is about helping other people. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, all the stuff and the accolades and all that is great. But the, the thing I'm proudest of is, you know, in the 16 years that we were there, you know, we helped to raise or raised or were involved in raising, I think, over $700,000 for a whole slew of charities. You know, and that's what makes me feel bad now because I feel so helpless now that there's not more that I can do. I volunteer at a food bank in, down here, and I, you know, I, I pack, I put boxes in the back of people's cars. But there's like so much more I want to do, but I just, I, I mean, I, I can't, you know. So, but I'm not going to be bitter because there's a, you know, I mean, yeah. Sometimes you get angry, you know, and you're going to say, well, you know, we have to, we you have to focus on the positive, and that's kind of what I try to do. Is just, you know, what we're going to get through this, you know. And I mean, but you know, it's just we. we Right now, it's like, like I said, it's Groundhog Day. I mean, it's, it's you, you're you go to work, and obviously you have to deal with what you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm now where it's like, okay, I need to get a job. 
and I need to get a job, not so much just to pay the bills, but I need to get a job so I can, you know, I have a purpose. So if I have a job, then basically maybe I'll have more time to volunteer or I'll be able to do something to help more people. But, you know, I need to talk to people. Sean, let me ask you, I want to jump in there because you mentioned, you know, giving back and Foley's was always known for its charity. Every time you went in there, there was a charity burger and this going on. You guys, you said you raised almost a million dollars over, you know, through your various charities. Is there anything anyone, patrons can do, anyone can help the staff or is that kind of like buying the shirts on the website? Is there anything else that people can do now to help out? Because I felt it was like tragically ironic for everything you did for everybody. How can we help you? No, the outpouring of support that we got um, the outpouring of support that we got from the staff was awesome, and you know, and they're all work, they're all doing well right now. I mean, the, the, to be honest with you, the one thing is um, my my GM Steph, um, who you know all of our regulars and that would know. Steph started her own company um, where she's doing um, like gift little gift boxes of a little piece of Ireland. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, hey, if they want to if they, if they want to do something, help her out, send somebody a box. I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool idea. And, it's, it's you know, I mean, it's especially for all of the people, like you know, all of the Irish people that are here that can't go home. I mean, this, you know, I mean, the, the vast majority of people like me that, you know, that, that, that the first, I mean, we're, let, let's get back to that dreadful off the boat expression. I mean, the one thing that, the one, the one thing that was, that, that was a, a gimme was you know you went home every year to see the family I mean this is the longest I've ever gone without seeing my son you know it's been I think 14 months since I saw him last I would be say you know we do whatsapp chats and stuff like that but, but it's not the same of course not but uh, yeah I mean best company is called from over Dara, as in T-H and E-I-R-E which is the Irish for Ireland you know, but no, I mean the, the outpouring of the outpouring of support for people was awesome. You know, I mean, when someone says to me like, "What, what can we do to help?" Mm-hmm. You can't do anything to help me. So I mean, you know what? Something nice, somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, the sad part is, is that you know, I mean, there's there's you know there's two hundred fifty thousand people dead. You know, I mean, there's that's there's forty million people unemployed, and there's it's, it's you know, I mean. You know, I got I got in trouble for for some of the stuff that I posted, but I mean, all, all if, if people could just be nicer to one another, I mean, it's just you know, it's like uh, I you know I said you know if I had one wish, I'm like it's an awful pity that everybody couldn't go back to being the same people that they were on September twelfth. Yep. You know, and that's that's what it is. I mean, if we all do a little bit, you know, and if it's you know checking in on the neighbors or. Or just reaching out with a text message. Uh, I mean, I did that for the for the five months, or whatever it was that I was in Florida. I made a point of uh, I I would you know with the with the customers and the people that I knew or the staff every day. I'd make a list of ten people I was going to reach out to. You know, just reach out and say, hey, how you doing? What's happening? You know, I mean, share a laugh, have a conversation. I mean, that's, that's and just to let mean, them know you're thinking of them. That you know, that means a lot to people. Oh, I mean that just just to try and make their day that little bit better, you know. I mean, bust their balls or, you know, <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, that's that's the, the I mean, and that's the only way we're going to get the only way we're going to get through this. We have to get through it better, you know. I mean, it's the thing is just, you know, we've everything. So I, I you got to remember, there are three things that we never discussed at Foley's: religion, politics, and the weather. <laughs> um, you know, the first two. 
it's just made per- perfect sense because otherwise you'd have like let's put it this way you get a Mets fan and a Yankee fan and they will argue about whether Manningly is better than Hernandez whether you know Willie Mickey and the Duke mm-hmm. or whether Jacob DeGrom is better than Garrett Cole it, it'll never come to blows you know but um, you know but you bring up religion you bring up politics and it, it starts a fight the reason why I said weather was yeah, the way I look at it was if you have nothing better to do than talk about the weather you know what fuck off and go somewhere <laughs> yeah you get the hell out of Foley's <laughs> hey. Jesus Christ Nothing better to do with the I mean, yeah, it's raining. Guess what? <laughs> well, yeah. welcome to New York in August. Hey, uh, one question about the restricted opening that's happening now and the limited indoor dining. It wouldn't be profitable for you to ever open up. Obviously, it's closed now, but it wouldn't have made sense for you, right? Especially with the location Mike, and everything. Mike, Mike, truthfully, it's a joke. Yeah, I know it is. I know it is. The people who aren't in the business and don't know the business, they think, oh, you know, first of all, they think, um, Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, you just said it about all your friends. Everyone's open a bar. Nobody, you never hear someone said, you know what? I really want to open up a plumbing supply store or I really want to open up a suite. Yeah, everybody wants to open up a bar, you know. Granted, <laughs> it's, most of it is men that want to open up the bar. The average bar in New York, you know, I'm not saying all of them now, but the average bar in New York, um, basically over 90 cents out of every dollar that we took in was accounted for. Wow. And some as high as 92, you know, between with expenses and stuff like that, you know, so, and that, that wouldn't take into account, you know, like, uh, stuff you don't have control over, like, the health department comes in and they nail you with a $5,000 fine. Mm-hmm. You know, your air conditioner blows out and you need to spend $10,000. You know, so when you're operating on that, I mean, you know, so 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 you take in, you know, so so you you take in, you know, five thousand dollars, in ten thousand dollars a week. You know, I mean, you're lucky if you're coming up with a thousand, and that's not, you know, that's still not profit. That's not what you're putting in the pocket. I mean, back, you go back twenty five years ago, and these guys were putting, you know, I mean, there, there were there was so much, where the skin so much off the top because everything was cash. You know, that whole day is gone. So. You know, when you when you see that, I spoke to one bar owner, and uh, he had started the outdoor stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I spoke to him when he started the outdoor stuff, and he was, you know, he, he was he was optimistic, and I tried to help him any way I could, and you know, there was some stuff I had that I was able to give to him, and you know, and uh, but staying in touch with him over the let's say the last four months, three months, and just see the progression of, he, once it started, the fact that, you know, he, he's in Queens, but at 11 o'clock at night, he's got sheriffs, the cops, he's got all the people coming, they're doing the job to close him at 11 o'clock. Yep. They have to be closed. He's gotten fines from the sanitation department, he's gotten fines from the building department, he's gotten fines from the fire department, and then he owns the building with the bar is. So, I mean, okay, I'm, we're not going. We're not going to cry. I'm not going to cry in the river, but his property tax half of 2020 went up thirty thousand dollars. Now he's got four tables outside his bar, and those four tables aren't paying it. And those four those four tables aren't paying his electric electric bill, you know. And I, I saw him. I saw him before I left New York, and. Uh, 
just looked at me and he, he wasn't tearing up, but he was close to me. He said, Sean, I'm done. Sat on the bus. You know what I mean? And that this is a guy who four months ago was Mr. Optimistic and he had everything that he was going to do. And it was, you know, oh, and I'm, that's heartbreaking. I, I mean, it is. I mean, to see the business. And it pisses that, you off too. It, you know, people getting fired up, people getting really upset about this. Well, I mean, yeah, but the, the thing is, at the, you got to remember, at the, the crux of the matter is that they haven't gotten, haven't gotten under control yet. You can protest, but you can't go to a bar. Yep. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, they're, the, the thing is, the, what they're finding out is being inside is heightens your chance of getting this virus. Which, but it's they're like, oh, well, there's more people die of the flu, but we can cure the flu. Yeah. You can't cure I spoke to somebody who's who's way smarter than I am, and he's you know he's kind of like an economist, and we're talking about this, and he says he says no, he says I got to tell you, he says I said I, t- I said to him I said I think the bar business is dead. I don't think it's coming back. He said no no no, of course it's coming back, it's coming back. He said it'll, it'll be back in you know he says wait and see. He says three four five years. He said it'll be back to normal. I said you don't understand. I said three or four or five years. Everybody that's in that business now is done. Yeah, it's gonna be all new people. The whole, oh my god. The only people that the bizarre thing about it was 2019 was kind of regarded as the beginning of the end of chains. Mm-hmm. Chain restaurants were dying, and especially in New York because when they brought in mm-hmm. and uh, I will not call our genius man because we're not going to get political. But when he brought in that fifteen dollars an hour, yes, uh, you know, and and look, I. I've always believed in making sure that the guys who work for me that that they could live, you know. So I mean, the, I, I, you know, but the, the problem is, you know, when you, when you start to pay a guy that's washing the dishes fifteen dollars, all of a sudden, the chef that I had, who was very happy making seventeen fifty an hour, he's not going to. He said, "Well, I'm not working for seventeen fifty if the guy washing the dishes is making fifteen. So, you, in other words." You know, you have to, he, he has to get $20 an hour. And then the tipped employees, I mean, when I came to this country first, I never got a check because it was basically, you know, you don't get paid. You work for your tips and basically the money that you get from me pays your credit card, you know. And all of a sudden now you have to pay them 10 an hour, you know, so that, the, you, know, the, the, uh, you know, the bartender counts as $1,700 for the end of the tip. And I, I've got to give them another $150 on top of that time. Five bartenders, and so it just got harder and harder, you know. And that's and and that's back to this whole thing. It's like, like if you if you you know even if you're not, you know. So people will say 25%. So people you know, when they talk about that in Foley's, I, I told the staff when I tried to explain to the to the to the staff why we were closing, um, we were sitting in Foley's. And I said to them, I said, okay, I said, here's here's the thing. They're, they're going, because we thought they were going to let, they were going to bring this 25% in a lot sooner than now. I said, I said see this restaurant. And I went around and I said, and I put an X on this table, an X on that table. I said, we lose those tables. I said, we're going to have 33 seats in this restaurant. Oh, my God. So I said, yeah, and I said, let's work it out. I said, our average check per person is $15 an hour. So, I mean, you bring that $15 a person. If you bring that, so let's go down to 30 people just to make it easy. So I said, that's $450. I said, for us to pay our bills, we have to turn those, those 30 seats 
10 times a day, seven days, and then we start still one, and that, that would pay all our bills except the rent. Now, you, and the, but the question is, so, so, so that's 30 people times 10, so that's 300 people a day. Now, you're not turning the tables 10 times a day because, you know, you know, I mean, you're in the city, you see what it's like. No one's in the city anymore. No, no one, it, it's a ghost town. It's, it's literally a ghost town now, Sean. And, and they're not coming back. Nope. You know, I mean, you talk, I mean, you talk to your folks, or you talk to, I mean, uh, uh, all, all the cops and stuff like that that you work who may have been around here when things were bad, and not the 90s, but even the 70s, mm-hmm. when garbage piled up and the city went broke. People came back because they had to go to work. You know, they don't have to go to work now. They can work from home. Yep, and, that, and that's the big thing. A lot of these companies aren't even, why am I going to pay the sky-high rent when I can have my people work from home? It's a, They're saving money. And, and they're getting more productivity out of the people, and the people are happy. You know, I mean, you know, the only, the only people who don't want to be at home are the people that either spouses or kids. You know, um, but you know that's the sad part of it is. I'm like, I I don't see a, you know, I mean, I don't see a, and the tourists aren't coming back. No, not and not even close. They're not even close. And no one's ready to come back. So, you know, you're younger than me, so so I mean, I, I so I was managing a place. And just off Times Square at 11, um, you know, and we had just opened. We opened in June, so I didn't have a, you know, like a, 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 a I, I didn't have a feel for, you know, exactly what it did to the city because, you know, I was new. The business was new. I didn't, you know, so I think I spoke to my former boss and I said to him, I said, can I ask you? I said, you, you, had, you had seven places, you know, when 9-11 happened. I said, how long did it take them to come back? And he said, Sean, to be honest with you, he said, we had seven places. He said, we lost two of them. He said, three of them. He said, it came back in about two years. He said, and two of them have never come back. You know, but the the ironic thing is, if it's, if, you know, as ironic is that um, I never would have been in Foley's if it wasn't for that. And then plus, for a second, I don't, I'm not thankful that it happened or anything like that. But it was basically, um, like my partner who I bought the bar from, he had partners um, in Foley's that weren't, weren't doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, business went down so much after 9-11 that he had the, they were stealing from him. So it's like 9-11 gave me Foley's and COVID-19 took it away. But like I said, so we'll, we will come back. I, I just... You know, so I mean, you, you when people say to me, you know, oh, you're leaving New York, I'm like, no, I'm selling my house, um, and I can't afford the mortgage because when you're not working, those you know, mortgages add up very pretty quickly. Foley's will be back. Um, I don't know where or when, but you know, until there's an end, until there's a vaccine, until you know, and then we have to see. I mean, the, the difference between what we've gone through and anything else that has ever happened is this has changed our lives and it's changed our psyches. It's changed how we do things. It's changed every single facet of our lives. I mean, there's nothing that you do in your job right now that hasn't changed from, you know, when all this started. I mean, how you, you know, I mean, how you go to work? I mean, we have to wear masks. Yeah, I take it, I take the mask on a subway. Who would have thought I put a mask on a subway? Mask could go buy a bottle of water. It's, it's mind-boggling. You know, I mean, how you say hello to somebody? Yeah, you have to see. Oh, is it okay if I shake your hand? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, and people that you. I mean, and, and the other thing is too. You know, you can't stop by. You know, I mean, I, I had a I had a perfect example for this conversation started. 
which I think was yesterday. But <laughs> um, there's the complex where I live. There's there's a little old deer that lives like five houses away. I don't know nowhere to see, and you know she's struggling to get. You know, to, she's got like uh, like two of those liter bottles of coke in a bag. You know, and uh, nine times out of ten, or you know, she's getting something out of her car. I'm going to go over and say, "Hey, do you want me to take that in for you?" Now, you, you, you're afraid to ask her because in case she doesn't want to do it, you're going to put her in an awkward situation. You know, you meet people. Do I shake hands? Do I nod? Do I genuflect? Do, you know what I mean? And that's the thing is that, you know, I, I know everybody's talking about, oh, I can't wait to go back to a baseball game. And it's, it's kind of funny because the people that tell you they can't wait to go back to baseball games are the same people who never went to baseball games. Yeah. <laughs> But, but Sean, you're right with the baseball games. If someone scores, do you high five somebody? Are you hugging if you know if if Judge hits a walk off home run the ninth? You don't even know what to do with some with some people. Well, he just struck out in oh, the ninth here again. Listen, Sean, I had you on for a hundred minutes. You ready to finish up with uh, five quick hit questions? Sure. Best baseball movie of all time. Oh, I get in trouble with this all the time because, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a bad one. But feel the dreams. Wildest night in Foley's was after what sporting event? Like, was it someone's big win? Did someone win the Super Bowl or the World Series or whatever? What was the wildest night in Foley's? I, I don't know if you want to say wildest. Can we say, oh, you mean wildest or greatest? How about, yeah, greatest. Biggest celebration night. Uh, I mean, biggest celebration night. I mean, there have been so many because, as you know, we were the, not only the home of, you know, baseball bar, but we were the home of the Pittsburgh Penguins and mm-hmm. the St. Louis one, but I, I mean, if you want to say for me, greatest night was David Wright's last night in New York because he came in after the game, and I, you know, there was a lot of Mets fans who come back after the game. The game went for seventeen, fifteen innings or something, and, and uh, that's one of the most memorable ones. Uh, the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup in two thousand, first time they won the Stanley Cup in two thousand nine. Um, that was ironic because we weren't expecting it. And we had to close the bar at four o'clock because we were full. Start <laughs> late o'clock. I uh, I know celebrities have been in and out of the, your location. You're friends with a ton of them. One person that walked into Foley's that made you starstruck. Um. Uh, actually, Amira, you're right. A lot of famous people come in, but the one that had the biggest effect on me, and you probably won't realize this. Mike Stanley. Why? Well, as I explained to you, I came here in the early 90s, and he was a catcher for the Yankees, and he was my first favorite Yankee. And why I liked him was, he's a lot like, uh, you know, obviously you're younger than me, you probably wouldn't, he wasn't around in your time, but he was DJ LeMahieu. He was quiet, but he he did he did he he did everything the right way, you know. And it was just there was nothing flash, you know. I mean, and that for me, I mean that that was like, you know, I mean that was one of the. I mean, Ron Gardenhire would be another one because you know, I mean, Ron, you know, who just retired, you know, I mean, he's and he's one of my dearest friends now. But I mean, his manager, the Twins, I and mean, he's coming to see me. You know, I mean, I've been, I, you know, I've been lucky. There's so many great people. I mean, that I've gotten to know and become friends with. You know, like John Hamm. Mm-hmm. That's another good friend of mine. Um, 
you know, it's funny because I, I've never seen, I've never seen, and I, and I like them. And it's like, you know, it's a very quick funny story about this because I know we're in a rapid fire section. So um, I had just started dating Christy and it was, we started dating just so she had just come home and it was our first official, not any baseball involved, date night. Okay, well, okay. St. Louis Star, the St. Louis Blues are playing and John called, like, Sean, do you mind if I come and watch the Blues game? He said, I'm bringing um, my teachers from high school uh, to New York and, you know, I'm bringing them here and there, but I want them to see photos, but I really want to see the game and I don't want to see it anywhere else. So I said, not a problem. So, I said to Christy, I said, um, I said, look, we're gonna, we're going for dinner. I said, but on the way back, I, I said, I, I need to stop at Foley's. I said, I don't want you to think this is a regular occurrence, but I said, I have to check on something. She's like, okay. She said, what do you have to check on? I said, John Ham's coming to Foley's. <laughs> so she's like, okay. So we went in and I got everything set up, and I, I knew from. I called a buddy of mine that handled my security and I said, look, do me a favor. I said, if you have somebody that's around, I said, I want them to come over. I said, they're going to sit at the next table. I said, I'm going to pay them, but they're just going to make sure that no one bothers John. So I come in, I was setting up the table and he comes over and he gives me a big hug and I, I pointed over his shoulder and I said, John, that's my uh, my new lady friend in the corner. He's like, oh, wonderful. He's like, can I meet her? Can I meet her? I said, she's kind of shy. I said, but listen, here's the deal. I said, this was our first date night. I said, and I interrupted it for you. I said, if this date night doesn't go how I expect this date night, I said, I'm coming back. I said, and you better brush your teeth. <laughs> Sean, 2 a.m., you're leaving Foley's. What's your go-to New York City food? I, be honest with you, I battled weight, so I tried to eat healthy. Okay. So, but that being said, um, there's a pe- 